Well, thank you very much for coming. It makes um, that five minutes preparation (laughs) after supper worthwhile, really. (laughs) Now, I'm aware that for some of you, um, that you'd like to listen to this afterwards. And and some of you are even going to watch the PowerPoint that comes with it afterwards. So every now and again, I'm going to say slide. And that doesn't mean you should move. It just means that a Rob is going to move something on, or I am, or between us. It will move on, the third party indefinite. Third person indefinite. Do come in. Um, it's a, a pleasure and a privilege to gather around what God's word. And I think we're very, uh, in this country, we're, we're just very, very well treated. We can do this when people in other parts of the world cannot. Um, I, was, uh, I have links with the church in Sudan. And there it is difficult. And if you're a Christian, it is, you're really up against it. So let us enjoy the freedom we enjoy here. Now, a couple of practical things. Do please take this leaflet. There's one for each of them. Uh, and in it you'll see just a, an overview of what we're going to do and then some questions for reflection. Most weeks we'll do the talk in the first half, then in the second half we'll go to groups. And the questions there in the leaflet next week will be for group discussion. But today we'll just have a time, a quiet personal reflection before John leads us on into our communion service. Now can we just check that... This is, this is the mechanics bit. We're still, this is the warm-up for those of you who are wondering, like me, what's going to happen. Okay, I think, Rob, it's, it's down to thee, my friend. Very good. So if we go back one, that was just the test. <laughs> right, shall we begin? Are you sitting comfortably? Dates me, really, doesn't it? Simon, a Pharisee who wants to love God. That has been a story well known down the ages, so much so that various people, various painters have thought there's so much in this story they wanted to paint the representations of it. And so Simon, there he is, in a kind of way he wants to be a disciple. Now Lent, for me, is a bit like looking after your car. I don't know... I'm one of these people who rather enjoys cars. Do you? A lot of people just, you know, they're means for A to B. But I, I think they, they can be beautiful creations of engineering. But if your car is over three years old, it needs an MOT, doesn't it? And that's when it all gets a bit sort of like that. Well, I think Lent is a, like an MOT. It is a chance to take stock. How are you going? as a Christian. Your car probably has been driven through the, year, through the year, unless you've had a little bump or something, nobody's done anything except put in petrol. And maybe you're the same. Um, you, you've been busy for a year. And you can't believe another year's gone. Here's a chance just to say, hang on. Lord, where are we? Thee and me. So Lent an MOT. And we're thinking of it, we're trying to look from, about it as a disciple. And so, let me be clear, a disciple, is, as you know, is somebody who is a learner, who follows somebody, who wants to learn from them and become like them. And that's great. That means if you become a Christian yesterday, you're a disciple. If you became a Christian as long ago, as, it's difficult to know, isn't it? <laughs> Without getting... Hey, John, that's safe, isn't it? It's just the same for you. 
We're all learners. So I hope that those in the beta group who are here will feel this is fully for you. And that for those of you who've just completed your second doctorate in intertestamental writing, that you'll still get something from it as well. So we're going to look at disciples. And by the way, you know disciples is everybody. It's not just the 12 disciples. It's everybody who wants to learn of Jesus. Which is the most popular radio soap? The Archers. How many here listen to it? Yeah. Oh, do you know that's interesting? Not as many as Janet would hope. Janet, my wife, loves it. We have to stop conversations when, you know? But why? It's a slightly redundant question. Why do you think The Archers is popular? What do they describe it as? It's a, what, what's that strap line? And every, yes. Ah, some of you used to listen, I can tell, because you know. <laughs> Everyday story about country folk. I suggest that the reason why it's interesting is because it's about people. Theologically, so well, no, practically, when God created us, he created us to be part of communities. And a lot of life uh, builds bridges, which sometimes we're very much on our own. We're created to be community, and we often wind up being individuals. Theologically, I would express that as we are born nosy. When somebody tells a story, even as a preacher, when I start with a story, people say, ooh. Then you say, and then in verse 47, they go, oh, like this. We just love to know. And here in Luke, we've got some people, some disciples whom we're going to get to know a bit and see what we can, get, we can draw from them. So, as I said, this, this story is so popular, it's been painted many times. Here's the first painting on slide two. This was painted in the days before there was printing. This comes from a book of Psalms, which is still in St. Albans Abbey in Hertfordshire. And the book was written, and the paintings were painted in 1130. And that's, on that page, it's the story of the feast at Simon's house, the Pharisee. And there you can see the woman there just kissing Jesus' feet. And then another, one of these great um, painters, uh, a Venetian artist called Paolo Veronese, in slide three, he painted it. Again, if you look carefully, there is Jesus and there's the woman. Rather more people in the house than before. Then in 1620, Rubens had a go. Quite different approach. Slide three will show you how Rubens represented the story. We've come in closer. We see the three principal figures there of Simon, Jesus, and the woman at his feet. And just to, just to prove that to be a Christian you don't have to be old and grey-ish, um, in 2000, in slide four, you can see how a, um, a, lo slide five, a, a local artist, Frances Hoyland, she was born in Selly Oak, um, and she painted this in 2000 bit more spare. But again, this story just keeps speaking. 
Now, I think if we spent time looking at those, each of those would tell us something about what the story meant to the artist. And I hope that maybe you'll get a chance to do that. But do you also see how different those representations are of the same story? Each artist was trying to interpret the story for his own time. And in a way, that's what we're doing tonight. We're taking the story and saying, how does this speak to people in the 21st century? And we're going to do it in story form rather than in a painting. So I'm going to suggest that we use a narrative approach to the Gospels. And in order to explain that, um, four suggestions. The first is, in this study, let's just stick with Luke. You may be a, a well-known Bible scholar who knows everything about Mark, Matthew, and John as well. Okay, fine, but just park it. Because what I found is when you mix up the Gospels, you lose some of the subtle colors and shades and nuances in one Gospel. So it is better, really, to get to know Luke by reading only Luke. Don't remember in Mark that happened. No, let's just look at Luke. That's the first suggestion. The second is that we will start with the big picture to get the big sweep, and then we'll come in, because the, the, the narrative sweep sets the context for what we're going to look at, and that is important. The third suggestion is that when we've done that, which is like our literary homework, we'll also do our cultural homework. Um, I, I'm sorry to use the word homework, but actually sometimes we do need to do that. Is that all right? Oh, that's good. Mixed... <laughs> In Aldridge, they speak the truth, don't they, as they see it. Because, you see, what we're wanting to do, when we read scripture, it is very easy, especially if you've been reading the Bible for yonks, to say, I know this story. And when you read it, what is actually going on is you're just saying to yourself again what that story meant when you first read it. You're reading your ideas into it. And, and the scripture struggles to offer you new things like that. What we're wanting to do tonight is to allow the scripture to come out to us and read out. We're going to read out of the text rather than read in. Does that make sense? In other words, I sometimes say this, if something strikes you as unusual, that is brilliant. And if you read the whole scripture and you say, I knew that already, I suggest you haven't read it. You've got to have another go. Because the scriptures have got so many layers of meaning. So we're going to endeavour to be, as it were, a, allow the scriptures to speak out to us, which means in order to do that, we need to do our cultural homework so we don't just take our favourite idea and push it in there. And then finally, in this story, we're going to enter into these three people, the Simon, the woman, and Jesus, and we're going to try and, as it were, sit where they sit or stand where they stand or see the world through their eyes. We're going to try and get their point of view on what's going on. So, well, there you are. That's the beginning done. Is that all right? Are you still comfortable? I'm very pleased there are no snoring just yet. So, the big picture, slide six, will just show us that. Okay, top tip. That's great, that, isn't it, really? I lifted that from the sermon uh, on Sunday. So we start with the big picture, and when you click, you'll find it unfolds, and there you'll see... The Gospel of Luke summed up in five sections. The arrival of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the journey to Jerusalem, the passion narrative, and the resurrection. Now, we're looking at an incident in chapter 7, which means that we are in the ministry of Jesus in and around Galilee. 
That's that bit. Now, if you can just remember those, the, the arrival, all the infancy narratives are in the first bit. Then there's this time of ministry around Galilee, during which Jesus is, is calling people to be disciples, and he's showing them what the kingdom of God's like. Later on, when we move into chapter 9 onwards, Jerusalem begins to figure out what's going to happen at the cross and when they get there. But for this time in the gospel, it's just helping people get the hang of things. And then it goes on to the passion narrative. And as you remember, on, as the next slide, slide 7 shows us, actually, Galilee is right at the top of that map. Can you see it just by the Sea of Galilee? So there's Capernaum there. There's Cana, Nazareth. In Luke 7, where we are reading, just before then, Jesus went down to Nain. So he, all of his ministries is wandering around there. But later, he sets on a, a journey which winds all the way south through Samaria down to Judea, to Jerusalem there, that red dot. And do you remember the, the resurrection story, which we'll look at as the last of our studies, that Cleopas, he was one of those two who walked the road from Bethany, from Jerusalem, down to Emmaus. Yeah? But for today, we're thinking of those early years where Jesus is just trying to help them get a hang of things. So, looking at the text. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to his house and reclined at table. Now, there's your cultural homework. In those days, you didn't sit. Often, you, as it were, lay with your feet pointed out to the back and, you, and the table around you. So you had all these bit like fishes with tails out sticking out there, and you all shared the food and passed it round. And so your feet were outside, and there they were reclining, perhaps on one elbow, talking and, and what have you. So let's begin. Let's say, ask ourselves, as in slide eight, how does all of this story unfold for Simon, the Pharisee? Well, first thing to say is, he's a Pharisee. We don't even know his name at the beginning. He's just a Pharisee invited Jesus to his house. He clearly wants to know more. So slide nine will begin to build this picture. He says to Jesus, you're a rabbi. And at one point he says, I thought you were a prophet. Please come. I want to know more about how to love God. He was a Pharisee and they were very keen on loving God. And here was a chance for Simon to find out more. And then, in an embarrassing moment, Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating the Pharisee's house, so she came there. Do you get the, the feel? This was a determined lady. I don't know many determined ladies, do you? <laughs> no. She was. And guess what she did? She was a sinful woman. Now, we don't know quite what that means. It may be she was a prostitute, and she was known to be that. But something had happened in her lives. She was so determined that she was going to find Jesus. And when she heard he was in a Pharisee's house, now, you can't imagine that was a natural place for her to go. I bet she's never, ever been in a house like that before. And how she got in, we don't know. <laughs> 
and neither did Simon. I can imagine him saying, well, Rabbi, what about grief? Who is, oh, it's her. Can you imagine? Have you ever had a, a party where you suddenly think, ooh. Well, I think Simon was like that. And then he watched her. She stood behind Jesus, verse 38, weeping, and her tears fell on his feet. Remember, he was at the table talking, her feet, his feet were out the back. And she saw them, so she, drew, she, she unbraided her hair, and he used her hair, and she, she dried his feet with her hair. And then she opened this lovely perfume, expensive perfume, and, and anointed his feet. At this stage, Simon just couldn't believe it. Slide 10. He had thought that Jesus was one of these prophets who could help. But Jesus was actually having, allowing this woman to touch him and to touch him in a rather intimate way, kissing his feet. Really? And then Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, let me tell you a story. Who was that who used to do that? That comedian? Max Bai. Thank you. It just helps us understand which era, which generation we've got here tonight. Let me tell you a story, says Jesus. And slide, the next slide, slide 11, then he tells the story about these two people who have both been forgiven. And he says, now, Simon, he says, tell me, this man was forgiven a lot and this was forgiven a little. Who do you think loved the one who forgave them most, more? And he says, do you see it here? Verse 43, I suppose, you're really helpful, cooperative kind of man, isn't he? Well, I suppose, Lord, is the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. Yeah, he said, you've judged correctly. And then he turns to the woman and says, do you see her? And then he goes through all that the woman had done and said, you know, Simon, even with your concern to be respectable as your expression of being a faithful person. You didn't even do that. But look what she's done. Verse, the next slide. Simon says no more. And for the rest of this story, he doesn't appear. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. He's not mentioned again. He's just dumbstruck. This is incredible. He cannot believe it. Well now, let's see if we can enter a bit more into it. Simon's a Pharisee. Uh, would anybody like to just offer a suggestion of what you associate with Pharisees? Just a word or two words or a sentence. Righteousness. Strict. Legalistic. Sorry. Rules. Pompous. Okay. If somebody says to you, do you know, you're a bit of a Pharisee. What, 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 how would you respond? How kind. <laughs> I wouldn't have said it myself, but I'm awfully moved. 
because in those days, the Pharisees were the most spiritual, most respected people in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Everybody looked up to them. They all thought they were a good thing. If you had a Pharisee as your uncle, they used to say, oh, aren't you lucky? You've got a Pharisee in the family. And it's important to see that because when we are reading this, we read in all the arguments that were with Jesus and all the kind of bad press that Pharisees got. And the Pharisees as a movement did attract a lot of uh, that. But actually, to be a Pharisee in Jesus' day was to be somebody who wanted to love God. In the next slide, you can see what the Pharisees were. They were a group of people, men at that time, who were separated. That's what the, main, the name means. Because they wanted to give their whole lives to God. Other people held them in high regard. The Pharisees were passionate about their faith in God. And, and they thought the best way to love God was to live by the Old Testament law that he'd given them. And in order not to break the Old Testament law, they made up hundreds of extra laws around that. So if you didn't break those, you didn't break that. And that was the big one, the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees wanted to please God. And they argued with Jesus. They resisted his preaching. Now why? Well, two things come to my mind. The first is, they were not people who followed fashion. They had set out as committed disciples. They were serious about their faith. They thought about it. They committed themselves to it. And they weren't going to change their mind just because somebody comes around the corner with another idea. If you look more closely at the next slide, you'll see Jesus spends lots of time with the Pharisees. He goes to them. Pharisees are drawn to Jesus. They argue with him. Do you know, in Luke's Gospel, three times Pharisees say, Jesus, will you come to supper? Jesus, I will. And every time they, he sits down at supper, it ends in an argument. <laughs> because Jesus cared and they cared. And Jesus looked at Pharisees and he saw, I know you care. You've got it wrong. You're mistaken. But I see your heart. You care for God, and you want to please him, and I do too. But it's not that way. There was this sympathy for those who want to please God, and I think that's where I hope you and I are. Most of us, if we're honest, are just bumbling little beginners in the Christian faith. And it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. I was really, I was delighted. We were able to pray with people at the Alpha Weekend. And one of the people we prayed with said this, I'm tired of being a fake Christian. I want to be a real one. And I think we all feel that sometime or other. And Jesus loves people like that. He thinks they're fabulous. And that's why he gave so much time to the Pharisees. Because they wanted to love God. And I think we can learn from them. And as the next slide suggests, if you look at the activity of a Pharisee, he made a life choice to, to love God and arrange his life in a way to do it. He prayed regularly. He held scripture above the tradition, the ideas that just went around the place. 
He thought his life must express his faith. It must look like he, he was a person of faith. He tithed. For those of you who are new to the faith, that's a lovely surprise you've got coming. But um, <laughs> it means that actually, if you love God with your money, you give him a proportion of your money as a, as a love offering. And that's a tithe. And, and the Pharisees did that. They did it with everything. They set out to live a righteous life. They, were, they, uh, they went on retreat. They formed a community. They encouraged each other. Others thought they were great. They, they learned scripture by heart. They, they were people of faith. If you see, they, if, if we look at the next slide, all of those things they did. Now, look at the next heading. The Christian disciple. I suggest any Christian worth their salt is exactly the same. So the next slide, check. Have you made a choice to follow Christ? A life choice. Do you pray regularly or fairly regularly? Yep. Do you, do you do price scripture rather than just what you've heard on the box? Yep. You realize your life must match? Yes. You may not have got to tithing yet, but all right, it'll come. Uh, do you want your life to be something that Jesus, which delights God? It's a, it's a love offering. Yes. Are you part of a community? Yes. Are you respected by people? We are the closest to the Pharisees of any community today. The Pharisees actually led to Judaism, and they, the, the Jews of today actually look back to the Pharisees for their heritage. But we as Christians, we're very, very like them. And I think there's a warning in that, because the Pharisees sometimes got it right and sometimes didn't. And I think... As a, just as something to reflect upon, what was it for them where they got it wrong? Because it might be that that's true for us. I suggest the, fundal, the fundamental respect, if we move on to the next slide, the fundamental, I can't even say the word today, that mistake, the, the real big mistake, was they misunderstood the relationship of living the, the Christian life, and being in a relationship with God. And what I'd like to do is illustrate that from the Old Testament. This is Aldridge, so you all know your Old Testament backwards, don't you? You did Hebrew in Sunday school in, in year one. Well, in Exodus, in Exodus 3, God promises to save the people and take them out of Egypt and give them a land. In Exodus 12, God does it. And we have all the stories then. And in Exodus 20, the people are given the Ten Commandments. The order is really important because we don't often see it. Why did God deliver his people? It was nothing to do with keeping the law because they hadn't got the law. The law was given afterwards. What came first was the gift of freedom. You see, and the law was given so people could maintain the new relationship that God had welcomed them into, free and for nothing. It's grace. It's there in the Old Testament. It's all through the New. And it's true. God loves you and, and calls you to Jesus long before you've had a thought about it. Do you know, some, many people will say how God has been knocking on the door of their lives forever and they've pushed him away. Wouldn't you? Some of you, I expect. Yes. And that's because he loves us. He just thinks that we are lovable. And that's the gospel. 
I love you. You don't have to be good or bad. You don't have to be clever or dim. You don't have to be anything. I love you. Full stop. That's the gospel. And that's why people become Christians. Actually, you may not have worked it out, but most people don't become Christians to join a club like the church and get a job. Did you? (laughs) Well, I'm awfully sorry that it happened. (laughs) So the Pharisees wanted to love God, and they thought by being good, that was the expression of loving God. What they should have realized is they'll never be good enough, and therefore they just need to cast themselves on God's mercy, and God will say, come on in. It's grand to see you. Welcome home. Now let's do it together. Our relationship with God is a gift to be received, and that leads to our efforts to live for God, to express thanks. David Watson was uh, an evangelist based up in York, and he I remember him telling the story of how he went to preach in a cathedral. It was much, much bigger than this. And as in a cathedral, they have clergy who are based in the cathedral, and they're usually called canons. Sorry, this is a Church of England story, but it's worth it, I promise. And the, and the canons usually sit up there, where, near where the choir once was, up there and up there. And they're often elderly, uh, and sometimes they're young because they've done something wonderful. And they sit there listening and nodding and, you know, reading, doing the Times crossword if the sermon's boring and what. And David Watson was preaching and he was trying to explain that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What you do, whatever you do, doesn't make you a Christian. He said, do you know, as he preached, you could be a canon in a cathedral. You could have been in a cathedral for years as a clergyman. And if you don't know Jesus, it's worthless. You haven't begun yet. And there was this crusty old kind of... They, it's not sleeping, you understand. It's just resting the eyelids. <laughs> anyway, at the end of the sermon, this old canon comes down. He says, excuse me, he says, can you help me? I've been a, a minister, a clergyman for over 50 years. I'm a canon in the cathedral here for years. And when you said that, I realized I don't know Jesus. Can you help me? And David Watson sat with him, explained it more, and prayed with him. And he started out as a Christian at the age of 70 plus, with all that stuff behind him. So what you do doesn't do it. Jesus does it. And he's wanting to invite us all into that. Well, that's what we see. The heart of Christian discipleship, I would say, is this. It's not what you do. It's who you know. Jesus. Right, well, that's how Simon saw it. And Simon was really confused because he saw all of his well-intentioned effort, all the money he'd given away, the effort he'd made. Actually, this woman seemed to have trumped all of that and Jesus had dismissed it. Well, let's look at the woman a little more. Uh, If we move on to the next slide, the sinful woman. Well, as I said, she may be a prostitute. She's actually a person who found her way in. And as I said earlier, Pharisees thought you loved God by keeping yourself separate from sinful stuff. And they never went near people like her. So I feel sorry for Simon, really, because she turns up. I don't know how she got in, but she was there (laughs) in his house. He'd spent years avoiding people like this, 
and now she's in his wretched home. And his, his, his best guest, Jesus, she is, oh, she can't say it, but anyway, he's, he, she's far too close to him, and she seems to be sort of stroking him and kissing him and, and being all sort of, it was almost as if she'd fallen in love with him. It's just really not on. Why did she come? Well, I think the clue is in what she brings. She brought something really expensive, some perfume. And she wanted to give it to Jesus. I think she came because she had already been forgiven and wanted to say thank you in person. It may be that it was John the Baptist preaching. Just before this, John the Baptist is mentioned in the story. We don't know. But she came with this expensive thing to give it to Jesus, and she wouldn't be stopped by anything. And when she does and she pours it, she can't get where she would really want to anoint his head, but couldn't get there, she anointed his feet. We don't know her name, and she never says a word. And yet, Jesus says, she's got it. Simon, look at her. Lord, really, look at her. She's got it. And what is it she's got? She knew she was a sinner. She knew she was forgiven. She was hugely grateful. And she came like that to say thank you. As an archdeacon, I would sometimes go around into churches and I would say to an individual, because some churches run out of church wardens. No comment about what's happening in April. So if there was somebody who looked promised, I would go and say, do you think... God might be calling you to be a church warden. And this woman looked at me, she said, David, I don't think so, because I'm not good enough. Fair? To which I replied, you're right, you're not. Well, at that point in Yorkshire, you get into trouble. <laughs> she isn't good enough to be a church warden, and neither am I. And neither are our present lot. You see, none of us is good enough. It is not about being good. It's about being a friend of Jesus. That's what's being a Christian. Somebody once said, um, this was the, the, uh, a vicar in Oxford. He said, I have a lovely white dog. My, uh, my, DeBerry, Ralph DeBerry was his name. He said, fantastic. He was a dog lover and he thought white dogs were just the thing. And he used to go out walking around Oxford to show it off. He put on a lead and walked around. There he is with his white dog. And he was very proud of his white dog. And then it snowed one day. <laughs> and he went out. And what did he discover? He had a light brown dog. And that's the difference. However good your dog is, it's never going to be that pureness of God. So the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that we who fail are welcome. You don't have to know anything. Just come. Follow me, says Jesus. And that's what she did. So, thirdly, Jesus, on the next slide, how does he see things? Well, I think this is fabulous. In this story, a Pharisee says, come with you. I want to know more. Come and have supper. And Jesus said, I will. Three times over, he goes out of his way to give precious time to one person in his home. 
And that's the Jesus we're talking about today. I don't know about you, but some people feel that they are genuinely not good enough. They don't, they're not important enough, or they've made a mess of their lives. And, they, and Jesus wouldn't be able to come. And he says, I will. Jesus looks at this Pharisee, and his heart goes out to him. And do you see, when the arguments, if, if you just look at the passage, verse 19, when the Pharisee who'd invited Jesus saw this, he said, if this were really a prophet, he'd know who's touching him. And Jesus turns, and do you see what Jesus says? How does he address him? What does he call him? <coughs> Simon. Jesus never says, you Pharisee. He says, Simon. He doesn't say, you something or other. He calls you by your name. You're a person to him. In some uh, universities, when you arrive, you get little messages put on the door, little slips of envelopes and things. And there was one in one university, at the first freshers' week, there was this envelope from the dean of the college saying, Dear 45789, we'd like to let you know we take a personal interest in you. <laughs> We may be numbers to somebody else, but to Jesus, we're a person. You are known by name. And he thinks you're lovely. Can't think why. There he is. So Jesus then treats him as a person. But then do you see, he goes on. He doesn't pull his punches. There's no fudges. For Jesus, it is the truth that sets us free. And then finally, he shatters that respectable separation from sinners and he says, you are very welcome. Now, I have to say this carefully, but I will say it, and then you must think about it. How many prostitutes do you know by name? Now, you don't have to tell me, or say out loud, <laughs> because I think Jesus would, wouldn't he? So why do we, his people, not? I did know I don't know anybody here yet. But I look forward to knowing them. And I hope you will. And it's not just prostitutes. I went to one church and this lady said to me, I'm very sorry, David. I'm glad you've helped my son, but I couldn't possibly tell you what he does. I said, go on. Oh, no, she said. Well, you know, after a bit, she did. She said, he's a tax inspector. <laughs> but I daren't admit to it. And I said, oh, I'm very pleased. I'm, I'm delighted he is. Who are the people on the edge? We, as Christians, if we follow Jesus, we'll get to know them and meet them and spend time with them. We won't be respectable. We'll be the people who can sit with anybody, anywhere. And that's why we here, I don't know what goes on in Aldridge yet, um, we ought to be having links with the different activities that go on there, and the needy, and the dispossessed, and the asylum seekers and the prostitutes, the sex workers, the trafficked. That may not be your Lent challenge to get to know a prostitute's name, but it is actually something I'd invite you to pray about. Well, the next slide. Did you notice in all of those paintings... It's Simon's house, and Jesus is there, but who is at the centre? The woman. 
because she's the one who got it. Simon was working on this. Jesus was helping him understand. But actually, the woman is the person who really understood what was going on. And she says nothing, and we never know her name. When I worked as a curate in Putney, we had a, a mission with Cliff Richard, who came to talk about his faith. Uh, uh, do you remember him? Yeah. Oh, good. Mm, there are some fans. And he came, and we, uh, we, um, we took over a comprehensive school's big hall, which seated 800. And we went out to visit, to give um, invitations out, to invite people to come and hear Cliff Richard talk about his faith. He, he does a few of these in between his regular gigs, Literally that. Uh, and, and I was his stage manager, but we're, that's another story. And I discovered he really can play the guitar. I had half wandered up to then, but there we go. So we gathered together, and I was a curate in a church which has some of these stockbrokers. Do you know these rather, they wear suits all the time. I think they go to sleep in suits, but anyway. Um, and they, some of these guys turned up to help us give out the literature on the estate where I was living. And this chap, He's lovely. He was a very upright Church of England kind of proper fellow. Can you imagine something like that? There are one or two here, but they're in disguise. But anyway, there it is. So we prayed, and we began it, and he went out. And he went along this balcony on this London County Council uh, housing estate, putting leaflets through the door. And as he went by one door, he just got a feeling inside, I should go and knock that door. And being British, and being Church of England, what do you think he did? Dismissed it. You don't do those sort of things, do you? I mean, my dear chap. So he goes on, and on the next balcony, it's the same again. This voice says, as it were, go and knock that door. No, it's not my thing. I don't know any around here. They're not my kind of people, you know. Goes on, third time the voice says, oh, rats, or oh, something like that. Just for the sake of it, I'll do it. So he went back and he knocked the door, and the door was open, and this woman said, come on in. And he went, oh, oh, oh thank you. I think it's the first time he'd been in the council, ever, genuinely. He meant well, but it was his upbringing, you see. And he, she sat her down, I'll make you a cup of tea. Didn't, didn't say, would you like a cup of tea? I'll make you a cup of tea, right? Yes, right, he says. Then she sits down, she says, my name's Gloria. She said, and my life is at rock bottom, she said, and it's been like this for ages. And I pray today, God, will you please send somebody to come and talk to me? I'm so desperately lonely. And if nobody comes, Lord, that's it. I'm going to finish it all. So he was listening to this, and she said, and there are the tablets I was going to take. And he turned and looked, and there was a whole jar full of aspirins. She said, but you came. You are God's answer. And he went, yes. <laughs> and he came back, and, he, uh, and, and Gloria did. She became a Christian of sorts. She was always on the edge of the church, but she was grand in her way. And, and he came back that night, and he said, you'll never believe this, and told all this as we met afterwards. And we said, isn't it lovely that somehow Jesus had taken him outside his comfort zone and through that, this woman had been blessed. 
we need to follow Jesus where he leads and not to stay respectable. So this woman is an example of doing that. She went to a place that wasn't her natural home because Jesus loved her and had made a difference. Do you know, I think what she discovered was this. Something which was said much later on by a, a great writer called St. Augustine. St. Augustine said this. What's the secret of the Christian life? Love God and do what you like. Pardon? No. But I like all kinds of things, yeah. But hang on, get the order right. <laughs> Love God and do what you like. It's the freedom of being in Christ. We don't, we're not bothered about laws and rules anymore. Paul said, they are garbage, they are rubbish. And he was brilliant, he kept them better than most. For the sake of knowing Jesus. So this Lent, may I ask you just to think about, forget what you do and are busy with and constrained about. Instead, take time to ask, Lord Jesus, how are you and I? How's it going? I feel it's distant. I'm stuck. I'm still angry, Lord, because you didn't answer that prayer. I'm disappointed because, the, or whatever it might be, Lent is a time to create some space to be with Jesus. And I've offered you four, if you turn to the next slide, four questions just for your personal reflection. You don't need to use them, you may well. How do you know that you're accepted in Christ? Is it because you're busy for him? No. Is it because you do lots of good things or a few good things? No. Because you've admitted you're not very good at very much and you've asked him to just accept you as you are and with his help you'll go his way. That's all you'd have to do. It's lovely. It's as easy as that. How I grow my living relationship? Well, I suggest finding time for it. We know about relationships, don't we? Husbands and wives who don't spend time together and they grow apart. It's exactly the same with Jesus. We lived in Middleton, not far from here. And there was a little village shop. There is one there now, but it was the one before that. And Denise was the shopkeeper's wife who looked after it. And she ran the shop, looked after her husband, and had some kids and got them off to school. She said, I... I the life is just busy. And she started out as a Christian. She said, I don't know, how am I going to find space to have time with Jesus? And then she came up one, one, one day, she says, David, I found the answer. I said, ooh, what's that? The bath, she said. <laughs> I get into the bath and nobody disturbs me there. So I now take my Bible into the bathroom and I lie there. <laughs> I, didn't, I tried not to imagine it as she was saying it. <laughs> What can help me keep a sense of proportion about my achievements and my sins? My sins are real and don't disguise them, but they're not the last word. Jesus will sort them. My achievements are modest and they probably need revision. And then finally a question. What is Jesus saying to you? What is he, has he said something to you tonight? Has something rung a little bell? Do you think there's a nudge from the Holy Spirit? Is Jesus speaking to you tonight? I wouldn't be at all surprised if he is. So what I'd suggest, we'll have just about five minutes of quiet. And you can turn anything that struck you into your own prayer and response to Jesus. 
and then we'll move into our communion service. Actually, I'll make it three. Three minutes are quiet. <laughs> so shall we just be comfortable so you're not going to be feeling awkward? And just say, Lord, what do you want to say to me tonight? And a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you very, very much for welcoming me to be your friend and your disciple. Amen.